What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, everybody. It's Bitches on Comics once again. You click the button and here you are listening to us, by which I mean me, Sarah Century, one host, that's one, and then two hosts, S.E. Fleenor. Hey, hey. I want to talk really quick, if you don't mind, if you have a moment. Do you have a moment? <laughs> me? Have a yes, I have I have all the moments. <laughs> are you talking to the listener? Because, I, yeah, I think that they do have a moment because they tuned in. <laughs> mm, uh-huh. Yeah, that's probably good. I just wanted to check with everybody. But <laughs> We're very consent-based in terms of uh, spending time with each other. <laughs> always. So, yeah, I mean, the last movie that I saw was Shirley, which was the movie that is kind of about Shirley Jackson, kind of about a woman named Rose who kind of goes through a feminist and queer awakening while living with Shirley. Jackson. I'm sure that that's not the only time that happened to somebody. And (laughs) that movie is really good. It's very, very amazing. And I love Shirley Jackson's writing. I appreciated that they delved into kind of the things that made her be a difficult person, but also the way that they portray this kind of just like social gaslighting that occurred to women of that time period and how that is reflected in the way that the men treat her in her own house is wild. And it's just a goddamn masterpiece, honestly. They did a lot without without having to like go too far, right? Like the whole time they're like, oh, I'm going to shake this camera and that's going to be like a different world or whatever. So I don't know. It was really good. That sounds awesome. So it sounds like a lot of like practical effects were used, which is cool. And it's basically just a story of this woman who's trying to figure out her life and just realizing how badly screwed over women are in this world, you know? Amazing. I know you're working on a review. I'm looking forward to reading it. Hi, everybody. I see Fleenor here. The film that I saw most recently was Godzilla versus Kong, which, like, I don't know what to tell you. The whole film's in the title. But I will say I was surprised to find myself rooting for Kong. I'm a Godzilla bitch, like, for sure. And my partner is a Kong bitch, for sure. And then I was like, you know what? I, I kind of am with you. I think Kong is making some points. Also, I love that Godzilla is just a petty motherfucker. <laughs> this is not spoiler. I'm sorry, because what you think was going to happen? Blows a hole to the center <laughs> of the planet because <laughs> he's pissed off at Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. I loved it. That's why I feel like Godzilla's and Aries, because Aries get really mad sometimes. And then they're just like, I'm just going to shoot a laser to the center of the earth. <laughs> and then it's like, as soon as it's done, they're just like, what? Huh. Yeah. It's done now. Everything's fine. I don't know why everybody's so dramatic. <laughs> the classic Aries. Why is everyone being so intense? Bitch, you shot a hole yeah. in the middle of the fucking planet. <laughs> Maybe you're an intense person too. Godzilla. <laughs> 
the opposite of my movie, quite frankly. <laughs> Today we have a question from Video via email. Hello, lovely bitches. I was listening to the new Cerebrocast on Mojo and it got me thinking. Mojo stuff is so disconnected from the X-Men. It isn't linked to them like the Sentinels and stuff like that. Mojo, however, is purely an ex-villain. All major Mojo stories are ex-stories. So I was wondering if you could think of villains like that for other heroes slash teams. Also, am I way overthinking this? Thank you for the question. <laughs> I'm going to start with the last question first. Just kidding. Um, we are just so glad to be talking about Mojo and the whole villain question today because we don't really talk about villains a lot, I don't think, on the pod. We do. Do we? <laughs> we do? Um, I guess it depends on who you define as a villain. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like we're like a bunch of people that people are like villains. We're like, mm, no, no, those I are my good friends. I reject that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? We do talk about it a lot on the pod, but but do we? <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for the question. Super pumped to be here talking about this. Sarah, I know you're a big Mojo fan. I'd love to hear, like, or maybe that's not the quite right way to put it, but what do you <laughs> love about Mojo or what makes Mojo an interesting villain? Let's start there. Oh, well, I think Mojo is so interesting because of how gross he is. He is such a jerk about everything. He only wants rating. <laughs> it, like, people will talk about him being, like, the Donald Trump or something, and it's it's just like, it's kind of like that, honestly, yeah. right? Because he just has yeah. horrible things all of the time. He reduces everybody to like what they can do for him. He has this constant need to be fueled by ratings and viewers and attention and clicks and likes, all of that. And I just think that if Mojo's platform was taken away, he would essentially vanish. Mm -hmm. I feel like there is a greater story that's gone untold about how Mojo was put into power by people simply talking about him a bunch, <laughs> right? Because um, that's kind of how I felt about the demon, he who shall not be named. <laughs> 45. But I think that those comparisons are accurate in a lot of ways. I'm pretty sure that there's been a larger commentary on this. I know that Anne Nascenti, the writer, as you said, you were listening to that Cerebro interview with Anne. And yeah, there's so much context and interesting stuff there because that conversation really does kind of unpack Mojo in general and like what the motivations were, what the thoughts were. But I think about Mojo as being this person who just on an intrinsic level is just a bad person. Like, Mojo does terrible things to people. And the worst part is the things that Mojo drives people to do to the other people that they care about. Because that's the whole story of, like, the Longshot series is ricochet Rita slowly transforming into spiral essentially and I mean what's a more tragic story than that or the way that Longshot through trying to do the good thing and the right thing often can create these huge problems and it's because Mojo has the power and is pulling the strings and that's just really unsettling stuff. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with so much of what makes Mojo such a formidable villain, too. I think that's one of the things I love about Mojo is Mojo is kind of, you know, for a team made of people who make most of their powers known physically— and they are very physical beings. They do a lot of fighting, a lot of punching or 
laser blasting. I know it's not laser, but don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever thing, conjuring a tornado to carry someone away. Like, those are very physical fight moves. And Mojo is not very physical, right? He's one of the spineless ones. He sort of prides himself on that. He sits on this spider-esque platform that carries him around. It's what he gets other people to do. Yes. And so he's he's still really formidable, but not in the way that perhaps we're used to having those, those engagements, right? And there's something really cool about the prescient nature of how he works Mm -hmm. because he's so obsessed with hyper-surveillance of people. So he's constantly, you know, creating these worlds where people are just being watched on all sides and then forced to perform in some sense or another. And I thought that was one of the coolest things about the Cerebro interview was hearing Nocenti talk about where did that prescience come from? And she was like, well, I wasn't really trying to predict the future, but yeah, it is kind of weird that I did. And that's just like really endearing when a creator creates someone or writes something that feels timeless in Mm -hmm. in a way that it wouldn't have felt if it had come earlier. It certainly wouldn't have been timeless in the 40s. They would have been like, oh, that's so sci-fi. And we're like, no, no, that's just reality. Just really creepy reality where yes. like everything's about ratings or clicks or likes or whatever. And I, I think Mojo offers us this in this decade, the ability to pause and reflect and like, oh, how do I engage with social media? How is that opting into this sort of hyper surveillance? And I love anything like that. It always makes me kind of trip out. I'm like, oh, I don't know if my brain can hold all the thoughts I'm having simultaneously. Plus, Mojo's gross, like Sarah said, and I love a gross character. I love gross characters. I love grotesque characters. Those, like, spider legs, just, like, oh, oh so, so, so unsettling. Because it's, like, you see it, and you're, like, visually, this is somewhat upsetting. But, like, when you think about what would it be like to be at one side of a complex and you hear, like, coming oh. towards you, and you just know that it's Mojo's legs, like, walking towards you, and, like, whatever is coming with Mojo is just going to be awful. So mm-hmm, I think that... Mm-hmm. Mojo is a very scary villain. Now, as you said, not a physical fighter. And I think that that speaks to a lot of the power of the character because that's how cult leaders operate. Cult leaders almost never do things themselves. They have a whole network of people around them to do those things for them. And they hurt those people. They change those people. And they make them barely recognizable from their early selves. When you are under that kind of power, chances of you doing things that you wouldn't have ever done before are much increased. And however they get to that, they get to that. Being able to read people and exploit them is something because it's like, we love somebody who's good at reading the room. We love somebody who's good at reading emotions and what people are doing. Mojo reads, what can you do for me? And like, that is at the cost of any emotional feelings. You know, like anything that you might have going on in your interior life is secondary to that and almost non-existent, honestly. The only time that Mojo reads people's feelings is to exploit them. And it is really scary because Mojo is really good at it. Oh, he is a master manipulator. And that is, that's what makes him so hard for the X-Men to deal with. You know, they're all like, I'm being direct. And he's like, great, perfect. I'll use that against you later. <laughs> this, this should be great for me. So the other thing we wanted to recommend, in addition to, if you haven't listened to Cerebro's and Nascenti interview, go check that out. It's the Mojo episode. 
very uh, fitting given the question today. And then make sure also to check out Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. They do a great, great conversation on the Longshot series, again, by Nusenti, and get into you know what's interesting there, what's problematic. One of the things I loved about that Longshot conversation over on Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is they point out that like the glowing eye is something that really started with Longshot and then now has reached out into other characters. So Cable has the glowing eye, et cetera, et cetera. So just really fun, cool information about these characters that we, we love those podcasts. So go give them a listen. I would also recommend that you just check out Anne Nascenti's further work because Anne Nascenti is somebody who worked in Marvel Comics for a very long time and is currently putting out independent works. And it's worth reading. I cannot imagine that this character would have been created by anybody else. I feel like we would have waited until 2021 until we got Emoja, right? Or, well, we would have waited until 2016, probably, whenever Donald Trump won the election to get a Mojo character. And that's why a lot of those characters were kind of weak, in my opinion, that were kind of like obvious analogs of Donald Trump, because I was like, no, Innocenti did this in like the 80s, and it was like way scarier. Because reality often is scarier. And then also kind of being prescient is scarier. This whole thing with Mojo being brought into the world is such a political story. And there's so many politics in a lot of Nascenti's works that I think are so worth exploring. Incredible run on Daredevil, many, many appearances as a writer in the X universe, and just a good writer. Like I said, I really don't know who else would have created this character. I think that her work and like having that creator who had that specific kind of maverick sort of leftist lean on things I think all of that was really important in the creation of this character. Absolutely, absolutely. Nocenti also did a ton of editing, especially in the X line. So, Yeah, one of the prime X editors along with Louise Simonson. Yes, and so, you know, her fingerprints are all over these worlds that we love and we're very, very grateful. So Art Adams also was the artist that created this. I think there was a lot in the collaboration between the two and Art Adams. Obviously, we were just talking about how truly creepy Mojo is. And our Adam's character design, I think, was such a big part of that too. So it's like there was almost this specific moment in time where Mojo could have existed. And then it's like Mojo like almost manifested himself. <laughs> yeah, uh, Adam's did fantastic work with the design there. And, you know, there's just something, it's it's the combination, right? If if Mojo wasn't yellow, would he be as creepy? If Mm-mm. if Mojo, you know, was bipedal, would, would he be as creepy? If he didn't have those creepy long fingers, you know, all those pieces come together. And then also like the, I'm going to call them cybernetics, not knowing exactly what they are, but all the tubing that connects to Mojo's head. Like, would Mojo be as creepy without those things? And Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really fun. And I think while we're talking about the character design, again, in that Cerebro interview, something I think worth listening to is uh, Nocetti talks about, some people have asked questions about like, well, it seems like in some ways Mojo is meant as a condemnation of fat people and mm-hmm. of gluttony and all those things. And, and Nocetti talks about that. And I really appreciate what she says. I don't agree. I think that that is what he's meant to be. And as a fat person, I don't love that, but I, I like fat villains. I like all villains. Like I want, there should be villains of every kind. Cause like people are complex and you know, bad things happen and you can become someone evil or you could just be, you know, maniacal, like good old Mojo. And it's okay that he's fat. Like, I, I don't think that has to be 
a condemnation on fat people wholesale. I do think it's an exploration of gluttony, and I think that that is always a conversation about fatness. That was always something, too, whenever you talk about Trump, right? Like, that was something where everybody Mm -hmm. was always fat-shaming him and stuff, and it was like, okay, that has... Wow, the way that you just had to, like, reach all the way across the aisle. Like, there is so many things wrong with this person. Like, you did not need to get into physical stuff or, like, mental illness stuff or anything along those lines. You could have kept this stuff above board and, like, took this guy down easily with his own actions and words. Like, you did not need to do that. With Mojo... I guess my idea was always that Mojo is, as you say, a spineless one, but I always thought about that as being like Mojo is somewhat worm-like, I guess, or like kind of amorphous in a way. But then I was just like, yeah, of course, like visually, like what do we see? And then also the fact that like a lot of the things that we talk about, it wouldn't be so egregious, I don't think, if there was positive representation as well. When you go like, Mojo might be a little bit problematic as like a fat character, then it's like, yeah, mostly because there are no fat characters except for this weird, gross villain, right? Or like, you know, it's always a one-off fat character. Like I'm thinking even of the X-Ranch story, there's one fat woman. But it's like every comment is about her being fat. Yeah, and and everyone's like, like, you're disgusting. No one would want to, you know, have a sex worker who's fat. And it's like, well, you clearly understand nothing. (laughs) You understand nothing. (laughs) like very little um yeah it's ridiculous that is like a much longer conversation i would love to get into that at length at any time because i agree with you 100 percent. if you're a cerebro listener then you probably were around for the karma episode that connor and i did that episode we talk a lot about kind of like the problematic portrayal whenever it's like such a convoluted story with her but they basically essentially she is made fat and thereby villainous and then is dropped off in a desert to be the original biggest loser i guess it's a really messed up story if it was like oh yeah but look karma's like a fat character and is like super comfortable with it and all of this but it's like oh but like across the line and like honestly across the entire medium and genre like this is something that is a problem and like there's very few instances of it not being fat phobic right like there's tons of fat phobia in comics just an incredible amount A shocking amount, honestly. And to the point where even just like the release of this is not Starfire's cover was just like open season on people to make like the grossest comments about Mariko Tamaki that they possibly could. And like, yeah, so I mean, here's my thing. I didn't view Mojo like that necessarily. However, I would never argue with somebody who did. And also, I think that it is because there's nobody doing the other work, right? Like, there's nobody who's putting in those characters. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that, you know, for me, it's not black and white with Mojo. I I really like Mojo. I think Mojo's really interesting. I I like what he represents. Mm. And, And, like... I can't pretend that when I look at him, I don't see a fat person. You know, I think you said that really well, Sarah, where you were like, oh, I think about him this way, but what do we see visually? And and I think that that's, we can have complicated feelings about those things. And, you know, again, if you want to hear us talk about this more, please send us a question. We would love to talk about body representation. And, you know, we had a great conversation with Sophie Campbell talking about how she represents so many diverse bodies in her work. And that is so exciting and refreshing because... This can be a really tough medium for body. 
And we always talk about Valiant's faith. And she's one of those heroes that just makes me so happy to see her flying because she's a big fat woman just like flying through the sky. And and that's really powerful. And I think there's lots of indie comic creators who are trying to challenge those those narratives. And, And not to say mainstream folks aren't either. But very well. seldom in mainstream do we see it, right? Exactly. So, and especially during the 80s, whenever, like, once again, the other prominent stories with characters who either were fat in the beginning, became fat, and then were, like, weirdly self-tortured into not doing it, you know? Yeah. It's like, all of those stories were a little bit rough, honestly. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Yeah, once again, it's not 100% like what this question is about, but I do think it's important to talk about this stuff. And I would love, you know, ask us a question. We'd love to hear a little bit or talk a little bit more about this stuff. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's always so good to talk about these things. I love you, Sarah. Uh, Yeah, I love you too. Talk to me about villains that are, you know, this connected, disconnected, the way Mojo is with the X-Men that you think exist in other configurations. Well, there is no other mojo, you know, it's like that's kind of the thing (laughs) with that character. It's interesting to me that, as you noted, mojo really does only show up in X-Men books. And I think it's because X-Men are so goddamned weird, right? Like they've always been willing to kind of roam. There's definitely time periods where I don't think that Mojo would have flown. I think if like Nocenti brought that pitch 10 years later, people would have been like, ah, ah. Um, But the period where it did happen, it's interesting because, yeah, it was such a strange character. And then it's like almost the characters who get introduced, like Longshot, Spiral, those are characters that really do still only show up in X-Men. And they seem like there's no reason for that. Like, if anybody would show up in an Avengers book, I would think that Mojo would, right? So it's very interesting how, like, kind of nobody else wants to touch that character in a way because probably because of how weird he is. But then also, I think just because the X-Men are just so specifically well-suited to handle it, right? They're specifically well-suited to handle commentary around being turned into, like, action figures whenever, like, they're about something else right? It's almost like commodification of queer culture, right? Because if you look at the analogy in that way, the like, oh, the X-Men are kind of like queer coded just by like their actual story, you know, of like, oh, well, people judge me for something that actually makes me pretty cool. All of that, like that kind of analogy just is exacerbated, I think, by Mojo, who is somebody who sees what everybody likes about the X-Men. They're cool, edgy outsiders and erases the part where they also have to deal with a lot of actual oppression. So I think that that's super interesting because he just kind of turns them into a cartoon. Therefore, I think that in some ways they really are specifically suited for it because it's almost more meaningful with them than it would be with any of the other characters. So something along those lines, I feel like maybe the Phantom Zone villains would be a good comparison because they're so tied into Superman's world. You know, these are people who lived on Krypton and like helped to cause a lot of the problems that Krypton had before it was exploded. And I think that there's something very specific to Superman about those villains. They do pop up every now and again in other places, but they are such a strange and specific thing that the stories don't really work, right? You can only deal with that story through Superman's personal connection to Krypton in a way. 
Because when those villains show up anywhere else, it's pretty meaningless. Like, it doesn't have the same connection. And also, we start to be like, I'm sorry, did you just throw three criminals into a um, dimension of nothingness that, like, (laughs) they're supposed to wander for eternity? (laughs) Justice! Yeah, so it's like, you start to think about, like, carceral justice stuff. I mean, I would love to see that stuff way more explored. I think it benefits corporations not to explore this kind of stuff, right? But I would love, personally, to talk more at length about the Phantom Zone and why it's a messed up concept. But Mojo is also a messed up concept. And as you say, it really specifically applies to the X-Men in the same, in a similar way that the Phantom Zone really directly applies to Superman and his past because it's on a personal level as opposed to the X-Men, which is more like a group thing, right? Like Mojo's targeting of the X-Men has to do with their image more than anything else. Whereas the Phantom Zone is personally connected to the greatest tragedies of Superman's life. But it's interesting in that if you put them anywhere else, they'd be completely out of context because it'd be like, so what are what are they doing? No, it's specific to Superman. They have an axe to grind against Superman that kind of they deserve. And he has an axe to grind against them, which he also deserves. And it's a very complicated situation in a way that means I don't think that they work great anywhere else And I don't, as I said, I know they've made some appearances outside of that. There was even a Phantom Zone comic for a minute, I believe, like, I think it was like a miniseries. And I like a lot of that stuff. I don't think that they get anywhere close to the level of social commentary that Mojo does, which is unfortunate because I think it would be way better. That's all I want to hear about, you know? For instance, Batman villains famously can just be kind of popped anywhere. Like you can drop them anywhere in the DC universe and they're going to be a fun story. I will read Poison Ivy and anything. I will read, you know, The Riddler and anything. And these are villains that are kind of universal in a lot of ways and their gimmicks can make them work anywhere. Phantom Zone is not like that at all. I think it's just a very specific to Superman thing. And I have spent weeks thinking about this and could think of no others that were similar. Because <laughs> it's like you think, well, yeah, okay, so like Batman has like the Joker and the Joker doesn't work anywhere as well as he does with Batman, right? But that's like his main villain. Mojo is not the X-Men's main villain. He's exactly. off on a different world and like all of this. I don't know. There has to be other situations, but to me, it just reminded me of the Phantom Zone because I feel like there's there's social commentary. There's not enough. Some writers miss the point of the social commentary and just gloss all the way right over it. And then also the fact that like you have Superman stories that are successful usually are from like a personal place, whereas like a lot of the X Men stories that are great revolve around them being outsiders and kind of insulated, but as a group, right? Um, Like Mm -hmm. as a larger society that like helps each other. Whereas like Superman's so like on his own in a lot of ways, even though it doesn't fully match, it's like, I feel like the Phantom Zone does for Superman what Mojo does for the X-Men in a weird way. I believe it. I, I see that. So I guess in, in, in summation, Video, no, you are not way overthinking this. <laughs> oh. We have had a lot to say about Mojo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do really enjoy that character. I don't think you're overthinking it. I would like to hear other people's thoughts if we could open it up just a little bit and be like, hey, so are there other ones that make sense? Because I really thought about it and was it was like, 
I thought of Phantom Zone immediately, and then I couldn't think of another one, like, in the whole time we've been preparing for this episode. Nothing that, like, shared that weird commentary level. And once again, I don't think that the Phantom Zone has been dealt with in the way that it needs to be. I don't think that anybody has really fully explored explored that that. to my satisfaction, Mm -hmm. but I kind of feel the same about Mojo. I think we talked about Mojo a little bit on the Rachel Summers episode of Cerebro, but it was basically just that like Rachel is a really fun character to throw into Mojo world because A, she has a ton of history there. But in X Factor, we saw Rachel just walk right on into Mojoverse and just be like, yep, this old song and dance. And like, I feel like she's the only one who, because she's such a no bullshit personality that she's really fun to put up against Mojo, who is all bullshit, right? Yeah, made of bullshit. (laughs) Truly made of bullshit. Just the same as I think that like Kara is actually a really good person to deal with a lot of the Phantom Zone stuff. Yeah, I was thinking that too, actually. And you don't really see enough of it, but it's like when it does pop up, I'm like, she's the one because with her dad being a villain and everything, I just think it adds like a little bit more context to her that Mm -hmm. maybe she would question them being thrown (laughs) into prison, prison dimension. Yeah, I liked liked, uh, the Supergirl episodes too, the TV show where they had her dealing with the, the Phantom Zone people and how that arc sort of evolved over the seasons was really cool. Because she's not the person that put them in prison. Mm -mm. Superman's dad was very instrumental in those people going to prison, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. I think that it's very interesting to see her because she's kind of the mediator of just being like, okay, well, I believe in good things. I see that bad things may have happened here. (laughs) Like, I don't quite know where I'm (laughs) supposed to be, but let's find out. Um, Either way, this all sketches me out. You know, like, I feel like she's in that zone. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly how she feels about it. (laughs) And I think that that's why she's so interesting dealing with those characters. Like I said, I would love to see her really kind of challenge why they're in prison for eternity. I mean, at this point, yes, I get it now because they've committed atrocities, a bunch of them. It's the same with them on Krakoa just kind of tossing Sabretooth out, you know? It's like, A, I don't want to deal with Sabretooth, so thank you. But also, I don't think that that's a great way to deal with incarceration themes, right? Like, we kind of have to challenge that a little bit more. Feel the same about Batman and his rogues gallery, all of that, Mm -hmm. but... I just think that these are things that we kind of have to be thinking out a little bit more than maybe they did in like 19, in 1980, 1960, 1940, you know? Yeah, if those stories are still going on and we haven't advanced them, like, what's the fucking point? Yeah, which like sometimes what's the point, right? But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, touche. <laughs> what, what is the point sometimes? <laughs> Listeners, you tell me, what is the point? Hey, what's the point? But yes, To Sarah's point, if you do think of any other good comps to Mojo and the X-Men or uh, Phantom Zone to Superman, let us know. We love these kinds of ideas and and we'll do some reading if, if we don't, if we aren't familiar with your reference. Also, if you happen to have any follow-up questions, because I think that we started a lot of places and like didn't quite get there because there's so many different directions to go. If you like just say, hey, what's up with Mojo or whatever, you know, it's like we went into like a few things like incarceration in comics, fat phobia in comics. I was going to say portrayals of fat people in comics. And then I was like, let's just call it fat phobia. Call it what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So like we're, we're happy to go more in depth on anything that we started here. But yeah, hopefully this in much the style that we usually do probably left you with more questions and answers. But that's what our podcast does sometimes. (laughs) 
So thanks for the question, Video. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. time I rated and reviewed something I think was maybe dental work that I had done somebody cleaned my teeth and they were really nice to me and I thought wow that's great so I left a really nice review on Google now it turns out that that review has gotten millions of views trillions truly as many views as a review could have you know what that could happen to you maybe I mean if you rated and reviewed the bitches on comics podcast Maybe it would just give us a nice little buzz. You know how like we all love the dopamine. Just get like a nice little little boost. And also it boosts us in, you know, the ratings and stuff for podcasts. I know how podcasts work. It actually does. It's very helpful. And we really appreciate it when you do. week's comic of the week is Drainers. This is by Alex Stacy with lettering by Jeffrey Ellis. This is a very cute black and white. I think it's all black and white. What a strange comic. Yeah. Comic about people who work in a giant toilet slash sewer. <laughs> and, you know, I picked it up and I was like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm going to think of this. Is this yeah. something I'm going to love? And oh my God, I love it. I love it so much. It yeah. is so funny. It is so weird. It's such a great, subtle critique of like wealth and capitalism and who's a worker and who's not a worker. And and it's just, oh my God, 
Oh, I just love it. And the art's so funny. I think it's so clever. You know, all the people who work in the sewer are wearing suits because the sewer is dangerous and smells terrible. But they all kind of look like animals. So one of them has like bunny ears they wear on top of their suit. Nobody has the same suit they're wearing. It all looks very cobbled together. It's clear they're very under-resourced. They always have too long of a list. The whole time I was just like, oh my God, I totally feel like this most of the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like such a cog in a machine sometimes. But then like the main character looks kind of like a mole. Moles are super cute, by the way. And then also (laughs) these guys are super cute. They're very adorable. Oh, they're so funny. Yeah, in ways that I really didn't expect because it's like you pick up a comic is like an independent comic. I didn't have any reference for the creator. And then it's like, this seems like a really weird idea. So I was like, I don't know, like, uh, sell me, you know, like prove me wrong or whatever. And like, I started to like read it and was just like, every time I expected the story to take a turn that I didn't like, it didn't. And it made me be like, oh, what? This is great. This is actually a really fun story. Like I said, I don't know if I would have just on my own picked it up. So I'm so glad that it was sent to us. It was sent to us at a certain point. Mysterious means who knows. Much like the comic (laughs) itself, it was mysterious. And I just didn't have any point of reference for it. So it's like when you pick up any book or comic or anything like that, where you're like, this is written and drawn by somebody I don't know. And who knows, right? You want that person to like win you over, right? And this comic just won me over so hard. Right? I was just like, fuck, I love this. It's so clever. You know, I think Sarah and I are both very used to reading comics where people of marginalized genders are treated very terribly. So there's a naked woman in this comic and she's running around. And like you, I was bracing myself. Oh God, when's it going to be creepy? When's it going to be weird? When's it going to be a bad thing? And it never once happens. It never is. That's like what I love the most about it. First of all, I guess what I, well, okay. I love the commentary on capitalism and the fact that we all feel this way. Like this was Mm -hmm. really good. And I think that so often those stories can be very like either preachy or kind of just like, I guess that's just what life is or something. Whereas this was giving you a different way, right? Like a different way to live, a different way to process things. Like we're stuck in the system, but like, we can still be people, you know, like there's there's nothing stopping us from that. So I think that these two main characters also have an incredible friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Like their friendship is so cute. They're good buds. And through the whole thing, they're just good buds. And they are working in some of the worst conditions I've ever seen. So they're like mellow, good friends vibes are very welcome to this story. And it's a very good counteractive of like the corporate overlords that we see in the story. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. the... Other favorite thing I love is the fact that the woman is naked for a reason that works with the plot excellently because she is embracing the horrible hell that they live in while everybody else has these big suits and they're trying to keep themselves away from it. And she very much just like dives right in every Mm -hmm. time, right? The other thing that I really like about her as a character is it's never super graphic. The nudity is honestly very like tasteful because Mm -hmm. it's like she has a regular regular body, you know, like it's not like super weird proportions or anything. And when she's running around naked, it's kind of like a sight gag more. So it's, it's like so funny. Pe- women getting to be funny while naked is like not even something that I've ever heard of, right? I mean, I have because I'm a lesbian. I make jokes, you know, during intimate moments. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I haven't seen in, in society 
I think that like we have this whole situation where it's like if a woman's naked, it's sexy time, right? Like there's nothing, there's yes. no yes. like, hey, I'm naked. And here's like what's funny about being naked with somebody, right? I think that we have or those it's moments. shameful when it happens. You shameful. know, there's always like, and there's no shame. She does not feel any shame. And it's she doesn't, so beautiful. And they don't ever even try they to feel make her feel that. You know, they're like, because like, oh they're gosh. like, I don't want to be weird. Yes. You know, like that's like their whole thing. But then through the whole thing, it's like every time she does something bonkers, I love that they're just like, what a weird lady. Like, I love, <laughs> I love how much they just like her. Like, it's really funny and cute for like these three complete weirdos to like kind of have a friendship with each other that isn't I don't know how you would fit romance into this story but people would right like many people would so I love that it's not there I love the fact that this character is naked and it doesn't make me feel weird at all as like a person who normally does feel weird (laughs) when reading a comic that would sexualize but this character is not sexualized and then uh, there's so many good jokes and there's so many good bonding moments between buds that like I'm just here for it and then of course once again the whole time it's just like capitalism kills us yep and i think that so often narratives like you were saying about how bad capitalism is are like well that's life or oh another thing i see a lot is like you know like the hunger games like we're gonna overthrow the system do i love those stories i love those stories but what i love that this story did instead is it said you know we're not going to overthrow the system but we are going to make life more livable for these yeah. characters they're going to be inspired by this weirdo to make their lives a little better and it's really really cute oh my god it's so cute this comic is surprisingly cute for being Adorable. one of the grossest premises that so I've gross. ever heard. Like it's so <laughs> they're disgusting. They're in sewers. It's just they're in nasty. sewers. It's fighting gnarly. rats. Like there's like a lot of use of explosives because they're like, did someone pour cement down the drain? They're like, must yeah. have. And it's just like, oh my god. It is. It's so. It's so funny. There's also a ton of um, background jokes. So like, I didn't catch them on the first read through, but then I read it again, and it's like the signs in the background are hysterical. Yeah. Like, there's one where like it's like rats stay out. Like we kill rats here, and then one of the signs at like the bottom left that you have to really look to see says rats can't read. <laughs> Why did I make this sign <laughs> or something like that? And it is so funny. It just like the gags are so good, and the narrative is really tight and interesting. And and I just I I loved it. And the art's lovely. It's such a fun fun way of telling the story. Like Sarah said, it's like you'd think it's gross, but like. There's a couple points where they point out how gross what's happening is, but for the most part, it's just like, well, this is our normal. So yeah. why would we talk about how gross it is? It's just like what we have to do. And even when they're like, it's gross, the, the naked lady's always like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> like she doesn't really talk, but she goes, mm, you know, it's okay. <laughs> doesn't matter. Like it'd be gross wearing clothes too. Like, I don't know. I think that that's kind of it, though, because they do give this, like, she's kind of doing things the right way a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. She's kind of just doing everything to, like, fuck the system and, like, destroy things and, like, kind of just gum things up for everybody. And, you know, I think that it's awesome. I just think that this was a comic that surprised me by how much I enjoyed it. Like, there's a lot of comics where you walk into it and you're just like who knows, right? And like this one was one of those where I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to feel about this. Could be good, could be bad, who knows? But then by the time I had made it through, I was like a little bit moved and like, (laughs) I loved that actually. I thought that that was a really good comic despite being about things that I normally would never want to read about, for instance, 
sewers, toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Gross things people put down the drain. But that's the point. It's people we don't look at, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. This is like them being like, it's the people who you don't want to think about. Like, there's plumbers all the time. And like, they do things that we don't want to know about. It's just like, come fix the thing. And I don't want to hear about it ever. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely have to check it out. It's called Drainers. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you think. And the art's lovely. So well done, Alex Stacy. Yeah, good job. And the lettering was really good, too. So this was a nice Oh, team. yeah. Nice job, Jeffrey. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hi, I'm Tatiana Maslany. I'm the Emmy Award-winning actor of the hit TV show, Orphan Black. I'm also the star and executive producer of Power Trip, my brand new show on Realm. And I'm Amy. I'm not in the show, but I am here to tell you about it. Power Trip is a dark comedy for fans of Fleabag and Russian Doll. Tatiana Maslany plays Jane, a woman who receives a black market kidney transplant for her chronic illness and ends up with the mysterious ability to make people do as she commands. Suddenly feeling in control for the first time in her life, Jane learns how tempting it can be to exert her powers at any cost. Featuring performances from Grammy winner Lisa Loeb and actor Brendan Hines, Power Trip follows Jane and her loved ones, including a new group of friends with powers, as they navigate the messiness of life and love in New York City. Learn more about Power Trip at realm.fm. And be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.